Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prue, and today we're on the Airwaves with Lieutenant Commander Brandon Michaelis, the CNAF Naval Sustainment System O-Level Reform Champion, to learn more about this maintenance transformation reform effort and how it's going to help us achieve readiness across the fleet. Sir, thanks for joining us. Let's start with the background. What is O-Level Reform? And how does that fit within the naval sustainment system? So O-Level Reform is just one of the many pillars that are being uh, addressed across the NAE. Um, the unique thing about the O-Level Reform effort as part of a pillar is in the past we've attacked one piece at a time. We try and work on one chunk or one little section and say, okay, if we fix this, we're going to have better jet status. We're going to be ready, for, uh, ready to fight. Um, but this is the first time that I've seen all the pillars being attacked. And really the O-level piece is the one piece that's never been kind of addressed before. We've done maintenance a certain way for many, many years, and we've said this is how we're going to do it, and we've never changed. So this, this is a good opportunity for the O-level to actually change the way we do business. Again, not that we weren't doing it right, but there's always a way to do better. So how are we going to do it better? Okay, so some of the biggest changes for O-level reform that I see is, one, the transfer of ownership. It's always been the maintenance controllers have all the knowledge about every jet, every part. We have two or three, four people who really know the entire status of every aircraft. O-Level Reform helps to transfer some of that knowledge to other people, create transparency where I don't have to find the one individual who knows all this stuff. I can go look at a board and say, okay, this is exactly what we need to get this aircraft flying, and here's when we're going to get it flying, or here's our target data fly. So that's one of the biggest changes. We've pushed some of the responsibility down to the first class level and the, uh, the second class level, which totally empowering to those folks who maybe haven't had an opportunity to know the bigger picture. They just come in, they do their job, have an idea of why we're doing what we're doing, but now they can truly dig in and own an aircraft, and I'm responsible for this aircraft and when it's going to come up and they can be a part of that process, which is going to make them better leaders in the future. How does transparency lead to efficiency? So transparency leads to efficiency because we are allowed to know exactly what people should be doing and at what time. By having a board with names of who should be working on this jet, we can walk out and say, okay, where is airman whoever? Where is this person? Why are we not doing this? Um, it gives overall, I would say, uh, it gives anybody in the command the ability to know what should be going on which is going to make us work a little bit better. Talk to me about the crew lead concept. Do you think it empowers junior sailors to step up and feel comfortable making important decisions? Yeah, absolutely. So the crew lead concept, I think, is one of the most misunderstood concept when we first talk about this effort. Maintenance controllers who have had that job for years had thought, I'm not going to transfer that power to these individuals. I make the maintenance decisions. The crew leads are not making the maintenance decisions. That's still done by the maintenance controllers. But what it allows for is it kind of sheds those maintenance control chiefs of having to know every status of every jet of every person all day long so they can focus on releasing safe aircraft by empowering those junior sailors, junior meaning first class petty officers, they can now own that process, know where the people are, know the status of the parts, and brief that upline. You still have those maintenance controllers, they're overall in charge, but it empowers those junior guys to get to know the process and they're gonna become desk chiefs at some point, so it gets them better trained for that. So how are the crew leads chosen? So the crew leads are chosen by the squadron. Um, we highly encourage them to allow everybody the opportunity to be a crew lead. And I think we saw an instance where there was some hesitation about someone being a crew lead or not. And we let that individual be a crew lead and sure enough ended up probably being one of the best ones we've seen so far. So again, that empowerment, that ownership that we had not seen from that person before by giving them the opportunity to be a crew lead actually resulted in, wow, she's really a great leader. 
do you think that empowerment, that opportunity to take ownership of the process has resulted in a culture shift? Would you say the sailors have a greater sense of pride in their work? Oh, I absolutely do. I think that by putting your name on that board and knowing that you're responsible and everybody sees that, I think it makes a huge difference because now you have someone saying, hey, this is my task, this is my job, and I have these people to get it done. It's not the 412 needs this work, go do your thing every rate. It's now this individual can answer those tough questions about where we're at with it. How have standardized workspaces increased efficiency at the flight line? Absolutely, yeah, so we've set up these central locations, again, for efficiency. Old model was have all the aircraft parts in the various work centers for each different rating. And so you have parts in numerous work centers, whereas now we've pushed those parts out to a central location close to the aircraft, labeled by aircraft, so that you know everything I need for this aircraft is literally right here in this locker. Um, with the tools being centralized, again, we take away the walking back and forth to and from the shop over and over all those wasted man hours. It may be five minutes here or five minutes there, but over the course of a day across all those technicians, that's a lot of time saved by having that close to where the job is being done. Earlier in our conversation, you mentioned some hesitation or some pushback to adopting the O-level reform. Why should sailors buy into this transformation? I was kind of hesitant to believe it at first when I read the playbook and I kind of read how this transformation goes down again because change is hard. Um, but I think the biggest buy-in has come from the squadrons that have gone through it and have opened their minds and said, hey, let's give this a shot. Let's see how it works. And sure enough, your maintenance controllers now have more time to release aircraft and do what they actually should be doing behind that maintenance control desk, not tracking down a part, not knowing where every single person is. Um, I think seeing the process play out has made more believers than I thought it would. What is the 84-day playbook? Right, so the, the playbook itself is the O-level transformation guide as a whole. The 84-day playbook and what's rolling out into other special inspections is kind of a subset. That was the first thing that they could find and nail down a turnaround time that's required and how we get to that turnaround time, encompassing all the same ideas of the overall O-level transformation. Um, the 2.0 has been developed out of purely learning lessons from the last one. As we keep going, we're going to evolve that playbook. A lot of it is coming down to what is a, we will do this, no questions asked, and what is, this is a great recommendation from the last squadron that we were in. That is the overall takeaway, is anything that is going to be in the hangar bay for any amount of time, you're going to have a crew lead, they're going to track down your parts, your people, any associated equipment you need to up that aircraft. Do the squadrons have flexibility with how they implement this reform in their workplace? With anything, if you just come in and say, this is how you're going to do it, no questions asked, it doesn't allow them to make it their own and to take that ownership by saying, here's kind of the minimum standards and now you can deviate and kind of make it how you want it to make, how it's going to work for your squadron. Because the reality is every hangar space is different, every squadron is different, their manning is different. So how do you take these basic tenets of this change and make it your own processes? You mentioned gathering feedback from the squadrons that have already implemented the reform. How much has their feedback played into rolling out Generation 2.0 of the improvement plan? So absolutely, that feedback is, is critical because again, we've only done it in a couple squadrons. This is the first time that CNAF has been involved, so we need to get their ideas and capture it as we move forward because the reality is, is industry partners identified ways we could do things better. And they're saying, here's kind of a set standards, here's some minimums that we think work best. And then it's over to the squadrons to own this process and kind of make it their own. So I think by having that feedback as we go through each one, we're allowed to kind of adjust those rules and kind of adjust the requirements and make it a little bit easier for squadrons to adapt to make it their own process. What is the value of bringing in that outside view? 
I think an outside view is, was critical. Uh, again, we've done it this way for so many, so many years. In fact, when we go into squadrons and we first roll it out, the, the initial hesitation that we get is, we've been doing naval aviation for over 100 years and we don't have issues in the O-level squadron. It's somewhere else, it's somewhere else. I think getting an outside, outside set of eyes has really identified, wait, maybe we do have ways that we can do better. Not that we're doing it wrong, not that we're doing it poorly, but there's obviously better ways of doing things. It's not that we're gonna become a commercial aviation unit, like some have said, but there are practices that they do that will make us a better, a better fighting unit. Tell me about the relationship between the squadrons and the industry partner. So it's been a good, it's been a good working relationship. Um, I think it was important the first couple squadrons that went through it was just those partners in there, and I think there was some receptive issues that people weren't as open to it because again, people not in uniform, people who haven't done many years in the military, um, bringing us in has been key, and they've been very good about taking stuff that maybe they're not used to leadership, chain of command, um, the way we interact with our sailors, and kind of used us as a buffer to say, okay, maybe we can't say this or can't say that in front of a commanding officer before we give our maintenance leadership a, a chance to address that issue. Maybe we don't go right to the top of the chain with every single issue. Let's give our guys some empowerment and some, uh, some wiggle room to take care of those issues. And they've been very receptive to us, and I think that we've done a great job of being receptive to them as well. We've become a good team. When you describe yourself as the pillar of the O-level reform, what does that mean? So that means, <laughs> um, as, as the O-level pillar reform team, it's just they needed someone to come lead a team to figure out what this process was and how do we transform it from industry partners who have, again, identified deficiencies, areas where we can improve, and how do we make it our own? So as the lead, I've had to come in and figure out what it is they're doing and how do we deliver this message to the fleet, kind of figure out what it is that they're trying to say that may apply in a civilian world or an industry, and how do we militarize it or make it fit in our current scenario. And that's been probably the biggest thing is taking their ideas and saying, okay, maybe this won't work here because we're in the military, or maybe this won't work, won't work on a ship, but here's how we can adapt it to where it will work for us. What excites you the most about O-Level Reform? I'm most excited about the change and what I've seen. I, like I said before, I was hesitant at first. I got this brief, read through it, and thought, I don't, I don't know if this is really going to work. And then just coming in and seeing the squadrons um, interacting with some of the, the first classes who now feel like they own a piece of the maintenance effort um, where maybe they didn't before is, is pretty exciting to see, and I think it's going to make for a better Navy. You're currently rolling out the reform process to squadrons here at NAS Lemoore and in Oceana. But how will it change when implemented on a ship? It does change a little bit. There are certain things that obviously won't work on a ship. You're not going to have whiteboards in front of you know the, the tail end of an aircraft. There are certain things that need to be adapted. Um, but there are practices that could be used out there. Some of just the accountability, the knowing where your people are. The crew lead uh, will, will definitely help that effort because right now you have a maintenance control completely separated from a hangar bay. That maintenance control chief doesn't have to do the, the phone tag to figure out what's going on with his aircraft. He now has a crew lead down there, a good first class that will have all those statuses and can provide that information to maintenance control. So what's the next step? Next step is to continue to roll it out to the Super Hornet community and then as far as I know from uh, my leadership is we're going to roll it out to the entire Navy at all O levels eventually. This effort is not an industry partner effort. It's not a CNAF effort because we're here. It's a Navy-wide effort and, and the big thing is as we roll this out, it becomes a squadron's effort. We identify some ways that, to help them improve their processes and then it's over to them to run with it and really own that effort again. It's all about that ownership. So far, what have been your greatest lessons learned? So my greatest lessons learned have been, it's, it's been a tough pill to swallow being a prior MMCO to see how inefficient even when I was in that position, even though I thought we were, you know, 
on on point every single time to now look back and go, wow, there was a lot of places where I, I could have improved. So, and that's what's made me a believer as well as being able to look in hindsight and realize, you know, there was tons of this stuff that I wish I had when I was an MMCO. Why will this O-level reform effort work? Before we've always said this one thing should fix our readiness issue or this one thing, whereas now we're attacking all these pillars at the same time and you're really seeing change. And the ownership piece for the junior sailors is huge in the, re, the revitalization, uh, re, uh, let's see, the reconfiguration of spaces because they're the ones coming up with the ideas. When we come in, we don't say to the squadron leadership, what do you want to change? We go to the work centers and we ask the sailors, hey, what would make your space better? What would make your job easier? And they're allowed to give that input and then we run with that input. What do you want people to know about O-Level Reform? So the message I want to know is that change is hard and, and nobody likes change, but this change is important. Um, we've identified ways that we can improve, we can always improve. And I think that at the end, when we look back, this effort is gonna pay off. Change is hard, but it can be a great thing. Sir, thank you for joining us today to talk to us about O-Level Reform. Sounds like we're making strides to improve readiness across the fleet. And that's it for this edition of Airwaves. Thanks for listening.